Well, good afternoon and welcome to A Word with God. We're here today with Carrie and a friend of Carrie's named Ariel. I love the name Ariel. That, that reminds me of a of the uh, a Disney movie. And uh, Carrie, how did you meet Ariel? Uh, we met back in the summer and uh, we've just been friends since then and uh I had uh, seen her recently and asked her if she'd be willing to come on our podcast and mm-hmm. discuss some stuff that she's feels passionate about. And, uh, well, we'll let Ariel say hello. Hi, I'm Ariel. And uh, we had actually, we had been talking uh, about maybe like a month or two ago about uh, her courses she was taking and just running into some issues there and she had done a presentation and ended up emailing the prof about it and she shared the email she sent with me and she uh had mentioned something in the email that she had talked with her professor about but like was news to me kind of thing mm-hmm. and that was that at uh some point in her past she had gone through an abortion and we then started dis- discussing that together and uh, I you know uh, we had talked I well I'd asked you like what did you know about abortion growing up in like well you say you became a Christian like seven years ago but uh, before that and even like in the church what's your experience been so growing up, I've never really heard anything about abortion. It was more like something that I had to be self-taught. I do remember one time at church, coming to mind now, that they were, I think they did mention one point about abortion, about like a baby, about murder, that kind of stuff. But it never really like, I guess, stuck to me. Um, and so... Like you said, I became a Christian seven years ago, but the abortion was really my turning point in becoming a Christian because I realized that I had gone like way too far um, at that point in my life because I was living a very self-centered life and I just knew that like this was it. I needed mm-hmm. God. So, And as we were talking about that and what I was thinking about was how my experience in church and I would say... Not even in church, more so in conversation with other Christians uh, was when the topic of abortion would come up. And in church, it might just be something usually along the lines of, and these people want to legalize abortion. And that's kind of it. Mm-hmm. It's a sin, maybe. Mm-hmm. Conversations with other Christians, we just it would come up and talk about how, again, it's wrong. And I was like, well... It, it makes me think of growing up being told abstinence is the key to uh, um, proper Christian dating. and Which, it's like, okay, great, that does nothing for you to prepare you for what happens when you're in a relationship and someone kisses you or something and all of a sudden your hormones flare mm-hmm. up and you're like, wait a minute, like this thing that I said was easy to do when I was sober-minded, is now, it's like suddenly I, my brain's telling me to, like, do I want to make concessions here on, like, what what I believe in? Like, 
with abortion kind of felt the same thing mm-hmm. once I started talking to her and thinking right. about what I've heard. It's like, oh, okay, well, you say it's wrong, but what happens when you're young and pregnant yeah. and you all you are told is it's wrong? You're not prepped for it. You don't know anything about the experience that you'll go through and... So what you're saying is that it's not been articulated well in teaching in the church of why these things are wrong, or let's kind of flip it around a bit. What what are the consequences of of my actions in these areas? So if you're talking about about abstinence, because like I I really believe God is, it's like don't don't do this. I believe He's saying like don't hurt yourself. Here's how you're going to hurt your soul and your very being is by opening yourself up to other people when you're not in that relationship that he, what he calls a, a sanctioned marriage, that uh, each and every time, each and every time that you, you violate the holiness of coming together as a man and woman and you do it in a way that's not honoring or say let me change that and you do it in a way that is outside of the creator's handbook on how to function well in life there's actually consequences and even beyond consequences a, a, a hurting of who you are internally is that what you're saying? I think so. It just sounds like smarter when you say it, uh, which is weird because like you're the the handyman and I'm the teacher. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. don't judge a book by its cover, I guess. Like, did you find that Ariel that in, in church that it was, it was kind of like, no, 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 but not here's why not. Yeah. I definitely think that that's a thing, <laughs> but what I believe is, I believe sex, sorry, sexuality in general is very stigmatized. Mm-hmm. And because of that, there's no open conversation. Yeah. And I feel that I understand your point, definitely. But at the same time, if you're trying to cater to an audience that doesn't really have the light of God penetrate their heart, mm-hmm. they kind of need to be spoken to in a way that they would have understanding, mm-hmm. you know. And so I definitely think that sexuality is huge for younger like for the youth or young children to actually learn about and for us to openly talk about and not have the stigma so then we don't have to learn the hard way yeah you know basically how i learned and so and like i know there's a lot of there's a lot of kids that are growing up in christian homes and stuff um and i'm sure that their parents would think that oh you know my my child is good or like living a pure life or whatever Mm. But they don't know what's inside the heart, you know, right. and that's the problem. That's the issue. You know, we're not talking about like even the effects of porn or different things like that, that, you know, children can go to because they haven't had that open conversation with the family, you know, right. and I think that is definitely the starting point where a conversation needs to take place. And mm-hmm. then again, the church. But then how do we take off the stigma? Because we think that, you yeah. know, 
we just think about you know the yeah. sexual immorality aspect not mm -hmm. to do it don't do this you yeah. know type of thing but let's talk more in depth yeah. why like in fact said. we were at with supper with a, a mom and dad and a 16 year old um, daughter uh, the other day and there was conversation in the car afterwards and and it was about sexuality and i i was just being kind of straight on about it and i could see dad was uncomfortable and mom was like we got a 15 year old or 16 year old girl in the car you can't we, we don't want to talk about i'm going like this you need to mm -hmm. it's too late at 16 exactly. really to have these conversations and, uh, and I've had that repeated over and over and over again where where I have a, a 17, 18, 20-year-old girl in my office whose life is upside down and pulled inside out because these conversations have never taken place. Exactly. And I definitely think it's because we're trying to preserve the innocence because when we think of children, we think of innocence. Mm -hmm. But... Like for me, I definitely relate to like Jean Piaget. He's a psychologist and he talks about basically the sexual stages in, in childhood. Mm -hmm. And some people have like differing views with him, but I definitely agree because I know for a fact that I was a sexual being at four years old. Mm -hmm. And like for someone to actually understand that and grasp that, it's, it's hard for parents, I would think. Mm -hmm. But I know that's my starting point. You know, and then continuing through the ages, like, um, I know this is tough to talk about, um, but even masturbation, that became something for me. I think even as young as nine years old, up until I started to actually mm -hmm. do the act. So this is, like I said, we would like to see our children as innocent, but this mm -hmm. is what's secretly going on internally in the heart mm -hmm. because we are sinful beings, you know, mm -hmm. um, we are fallen. And yes, we need to rely on God's word. Um, to go through this but at the same time we need to be taught right mm -hmm. and i'm seeing this uh in the school system and even uh working with youth prior to that like i remember the first time having a conversation with a youth about uh their what they've been looking at on the home computer and they told mm -hmm. us like well, well you know what's the story here where does mm -hmm. this start mm -hmm. um and they told me in grade two when they mm -hmm. went to a friend's house and they showed them something and it's been ever since. And it's like, to me, where that mm -hmm. wasn't possible, uh, we didn't have internet or when I was that age and all that stuff. Like, it's like, what? And then people are freaking out about the sex ed curriculum for grade fives and sixes. And I'm like, mm -hmm. yeah, but like that's actually like years too late and i've got then in school like i've got the ipad from the right. kids and someone's been searching they had typed in on google dick pics in grade mm -hmm. two and it's like that's a specific term yeah right like they it didn't say pictures it said pics like it's a, a phrase that they've mm -hmm. learned mm -hmm. and um like the conversation you're talking about having in a car Anything that you said in that car was mm -hmm. tame compared to what the 15, 16-year-old hears on a daily basis, right. even though it feels weird to mom and dad. And yeah. 
And I imagine even you felt a bit weird about it because it's our culture. I'm old. Right? I don't have to. I don't have to feel weird anymore. Okay. I'm just an old guy. <laughs> I think there's there's such a fear from parents, a fear of the escala- escalation of darkness around us. The you know we see sexuality being taken from from you know what god talks about in in between a man and a woman and the joy and the connection and i mean we talk many times in scripture about spiritual oneness emotional oneness and then physical oneness and and like physical oneness is easy anybody can achieve that emotional oneness harder comes with time spiritual oneness and bringing all those three things together very difficult to find and so as parents we know that and we see the world we get afraid and so we don't want to talk about it because i think you're very right ariel we want to it's like if we can cover this child with protection from what they see and what they hear maybe they can stay innocent a bit longer and not, I mean, as an adult, you walk through this and you go every day, you're bombarded by visuals, by sound bites. We are, we are a nation and I think a culture that has thrown gasoline on sexuality and, and just it, it is burning hotter and stronger than it's almost a fire out of control. And, and so I think that's why we're so reluctant to talk to our children. Mm-hmm. What would you say as a parent of, of young children, uh, how do you begin those conversations? Well, <clears throat> I'll start at this, that definitely oh, like oh. even, <laughs> I'll start at this, that even at um, when we were, I guess, going through the whole sex ed curriculum that was brought in but then kicked out mm-hmm. from Kathleen Wynn, um, the new updated version, there was a lot of pushback against mm-hmm. it. Um, and I guess, I, again, from like the religious community, I would say more so wanted to like preserve the innocence. Um, but sex ed is so important. And that's my stance because I have other male Christian friends that are virgins and like they're in their 20s 30s and i had asked my one friend that's a christian and i was just like how are you still a virgin like i wanted to understand that yeah. and i and i was waiting for him to tell me that it was because his parents embedded these beliefs into him but he told me the reason that he's a virgin is not because he talked about it with his parents it was because of sex ed Mm-hmm. And that honestly just like shocked me and like mm-hmm. opened my eyes that like the importance of it because he's like no one's talking about it. And so I was really blessed because the school was able to talk about it. I was able to learn that this is not what I wanted to do, you know. Mm-hmm. But then like I said with the new curriculum, we kind of wanted to push it out because they were getting more into the I guess the homosexuality and and those kind of topics. Mm-hmm. And I was really blessed that this semester I was able to cover in school um, the curriculum. And basically it wasn't until grade nine that the youth would learn about homosexuality, that topic. Mm -hmm. And for my presentation, I was able to cover that. 
Um, of course, being a Christian, I was kind of like, okay, how am I going to do this? How am I going to cover the topic? But actually doing the research, I was just like, okay, like it just touched the surface of things. It didn't get into depth what everyone was so afraid of. Right. And I guess like, sure, talk about it. Um, but like I said, it was surface things. So it's, I think, to completely take out the curriculum and go back to something so basic and like, let's keep this like under the covers type of thing. Mm-hmm. I definitely think no, like we need to talk about it, like I said. Um, And so I would definitely just encourage parents to like, if you have the fear of not telling your children, then leave it to the school system. Mm. Um, If you're not doing the job, like definitely, because somebody needs to be teaching these kids. Again, there's the moral panic. We think that, oh no, like this is so bad for us or whatever. But definitely, I like I said, giving the example of my friend, Um, preserving his virginity because of that I definitely think is so vital and I think that has also helped me um, to not get pregnant prior to that um, being Mm -hmm. active because Mm -hmm. my partners had the knowledge to to this is how you don't get pregnant you know so it is important I would say though coming from the school system and having sat in on sex ed classes now for grade eights you gotta talk to your kids too because um they were the kids were asking questions and the this group uh, they're called shore s-h-o-r-e it's an acronym and uh you can look them up there they seem like university kids that were teaching it and Mm -hmm. they were talking like kids would ask you know can uh how old do you have to be to look at porn and their answer was along the lines of, well, technically you have to be 18, but no one's going to know if you do. And like, how old mm-hmm. do you have to be to have sex? And it was like, uh, when you feel, you know, it's your kind of like your body, when you feel like ready, mm-hmm. go for it. And it's like, I get what they mean with that, but these are 12 and 13 year olds. Right. And, it, and it's like, do you want to walk in on your kid? with someone Mm -hmm. and like well the the school said when we feel ready um like they are they are kids they're not they aren't right like we forget with the way the world's changing how quickly it feels like people are growing up but they're they're not uh emotionally ready for the consequences of it someone else um i think properly probably said when you're ready to be a parent when that's mm-hmm. when it is like when you, mm-hmm. you know, it might not be realistic the way hormones act and all that uh, you feel like you're ready. Yeah. But it when a natural consequence of your action may be mm-hmm. that there's a baby. Yeah. Um, but I mean, that gets to your story, which we just sort of brought the beginning. But what was your like you found out you were pregnant? Um what happened then um okay so i guess we have to probably go a little more historical in my life before Mm -hmm. that so i pretty much grew up in a dysfunctional home we said we were christian but our lives didn't really reflect christ um but so i was raised by a single parent but then my mom remarried and then later on 
my dad wasn't really so much in the picture. So it wasn't until high school my dad came back in the picture. Mm -hmm. My brother and sister, they moved out at 16. So I figured, okay, that's just what you do. So I moved out at 16 as well. And then, like I said, I just started living like a life just self-centered and just whatever made myself feel good. And at that point, I really just had my dad as like the parental figure that he kind of came in and out of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, then he ended up moving to Ecuador at, at the age of 18. So then I basically had no one <laughs> okay. to like help me out. But mm-hmm. because my dad in those stages that I needed him in my life, um, he was there. I felt that I really had to... Um, just be that good child to him and it's kind of like I did everything for his approval basically Mm -hmm. so picking like schools and just everything that I did was for his approval so at the age of 21 or at the age of 20 uh he ended up coming back to Canada because he had moved to South America he came back and I was having a little financial difficulties with just taking like renting my own place and stuff Mm -hmm. and so he had told me to come back down with him to south america and live with him for a year and then and then just take it from there so i said okay um so because i had been in previous relationships and had been sexually active i went down to south america and i'm just like i don't know how i'm going to be able to manage this because yeah i knew i would go through some kind of like physical withdrawal and that's basically what happened six months in from being in South America, I ended up um, sleeping with one guy that I didn't have a relationship with. It was just my body was just mm-hmm. saying that it needed <laughs> um, mm-hmm. that attention. And so that's what I did. And yeah, I was with him that night. I was very upset the next morning because I felt that he intentionally wanted to get me pregnant. That's how I felt. Yeah. And so then the next day, we ended up going together to get the the morning after pill. And so it's supposed to work within 72 hours. Like you can use it within that time frame and then you won't be pregnant. And so I took the pill and I didn't get my period from it, which I heard that that's what, what happens. Mm-hmm. And so I just figured, okay, well, maybe it's a South American version or something as to why I didn't get yeah. my period. Um, And so that's what happened. And then I just continued my life, basically. And so a month down the road, I was going on a road trip with my family. And I was really car sick. And I didn't, like, I just, I used to be car sick as a child, like, get car sick. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't think anything of it. But I was super nauseous. And that's what happened. And then I think weeks later, the the nausea started, like, kicking in, like, at extreme. (laughs) And then that's when I just knew that, like, I had to have been pregnant. And so I ended up messaging the guy and I told him. And he told me, like, Ariel, I think you're psychologically pregnant. Like, you can make yourself think that you're pregnant. And I'm like, why would I want to be pregnant or want to think that I'm pregnant? And Men can say stupid things. Yes. (laughs) So it really upset me. Um, And especially because he saw that I had taken the pill in front of him. So like we both knew that I had taken it. There was no way that I could be pregnant. Mm -hmm. So he's like, okay. So he's like, we'll go down to the doctors and then we'll check. So we did, the I think, the next day or we planned for that week or whatever. 
So we went and we talked to the doctor and she asked if alcohol had been involved the night that we were together and I said yes. And she said, because of that, it increases your chances of actually getting pregnant. And she's, she said, there's a one in, I think, 10,000 chance that you can become pregnant. And I was mm-hmm. just like, oh, great. Like, you know, <laughs> you know. So anyways, mm-hmm. we went downstairs. I took a blood test because everything is just like, it's private hospitalization. So like everything's mm-hmm. quick. Mm-hmm. And I got the like blood test results in like five minutes. It was super fast and it became, it was positive and I knew it would be. And so as soon as we found out, I was just so extremely angry, like towards him. And Mm -hmm. I just did not want to talk to him. He tried to make sense of it to me and just like, Ariel, we can do this type of thing. And I was just like, not having it. I was like, no, (laughs) I'm not having this baby. And I was just, I was so extremely hard headed at that point. And I would say that's, definitely what women go through like when they're experiencing or going to experience abortion they're extremely hard-headed and it's very hard to talk sense into them because they're so closed off at that moment Mm -hmm. and that's where I was and and yeah so I basically tried to come so okay so then I ended up not telling anyone, but I talked to my sister's ex-boyfriend and I told him because I was, I guess he was the closest person that I can trust and be open with Mm -hmm. that I wouldn't be judged by, like Mm -hmm. thinking that my family would judge me or something. Mm -hmm. And then he ended up telling me like, Ariel, whatever you decide to do with this pregnancy, it's okay. And he knew that I was, I called myself a Christian. I wasn't really a Christian yet, but he's like, God will forgive you. And so I was just like, okay, like, you know, I'm like, that works. So I tried to convince myself in a sense that I didn't know what I was going to do, even though my heart was pretty much set that I was going to have an abortion. Um, But then because I was in South America, I was like, there's no way I'm going to have it in South America. Like, what if they like slaughter my insides or something? So I knew I had to go back to Canada to do it. And I was just like, how am I going to change my ticket? I still have like five more months to go. Um, and, and so I ended up telling my dad basically to change the flight that I was homesick. And then he did the next month I went, I was already in my second trimester. So four months pregnant. Um, and it was got to the point where it was getting hard to just cover the pregnancy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They noticed that I did look a lot bigger. Um, but yeah, it was just. They're like, oh, she's eating more type of thing. And so it was it was hard for me to cover it. Um, and even when I got back, like I had a really good relationship with my mom, which this is also like a thing. I had a good relationship with her. I was I was pretty open with her. And I always knew that she always told us the one thing she told us growing up is that if we ever did get pregnant or if we ever were to have a kid, she would be so happy to be a grandma. <laughs> she didn't even say like about like us being in a marriage or anything like that it was just like if you had Mm -hmm. a kid like you know i'd be so happy i'd take care of it all this stuff so i kind of knew coming back that if i had told my mom then i would not go through with the abortion because she would kind of well she would definitely deter me from doing it but it was more so i had the fear of my dad and it was like what would my dad think Mm -hmm. and so that's what basically motivated me more so to do it 
because, like I said, I lived in fear because of my dad. Um, and so, yeah, so then I just went through the whole process, um, had to be referred. I went to a sexual health clinic, then they referred me to the abortion clinic, had the appointment. And then that whole process was just like pretty unbelievable, too. Yeah. Um, it was a two day process because I had been so far along in my pregnancy. And the first day they actually had to they took an ultrasound. They also did like some pre counseling, which is not even counseling at all. Um, it was maybe for five, maximum 10 minutes, but I would say it was very like short to the point for someone to make such a life changing decision in that short amount of time right. <laughs> of counseling. Yeah. Uh, it's just unbelievable. And then to see um, the records that I did end up getting this year, um, just to see my mental state, like I said that I felt like it was a selfish act. I said that I felt guilty. I felt like all these bad things but yet because I also put that I felt relief that's the one thing that I guess was their their like motivating factor to say like yeah you're ready to do this yeah you know and so in the counseling session um the counselor <laughs> the mm -hmm. quote-unquote counselor she told me that she basically encouraged me and said like yeah you're not ready to have right. a baby right like this is a good thing for you to like go mm -hmm. through with mm -hmm. and so i believe that's definitely their job it's not to sway you the other way right um and so yeah so i ended up getting my cervix dilated and then i had to wear a pad because the amniotic fluids they come out mm -hmm. and after the first day i kind of felt like oh my goodness like i don't want to go through this abortion but because the fluids already came came out and my thinking was the baby must have already like suffocated at this point so like it's probably already dead so even mm -hmm. if i wanted to keep it i can't and mm -hmm. so that's what i guess made me go through with the second day of the abortion in which they actually vacuumed and like scraped out the baby <laughs> mm. and um just that process in itself was like very hard to go through because it was very um like there was no nothing good that came out of it like yeah. the doctors they were very like to themselves the nurses very to themselves yeah. i asked the nurse like can you hold my hand through this process like i was so scared yeah. and she's like no i can't like they're very like yeah emotionless <laughs> yeah. and so it was the most it's almost like it almost makes you feel like you're not worthy enough to say the most excruciating pain because look what you've done. Yeah. But it was a very hard pain to go through and, and yeah, and then it just happened. So afterwards, after the abortion took, took place, it was about like a very quick process, maybe 10 minutes. Okay. <laughs> and then there was other girls in the waiting room, which they finished having their abortions, but it almost seemed like they were very like, like, it, it didn't feel like anything to them. Yeah. And so I guess it rubbed off on me, and I had to feel like it was nothing to me at that point. And so afterwards, I ended up leaving the clinic as if, like, it was just a normal doctor's appointment. Mm -hmm. And then it wasn't until, I think, the next day or, like, the next week anyways, like, it really hit me because mm -hmm. I felt the difference of the baby inside of me and then when the baby was out of me. And then I was like, wow, like, 
then it was like like i said my turning point and so yeah, yeah. <laughs> i can't imagine the emotional like turmoil you must have been in and uh, i wonder do you think i mean we all grew up in dysfunctional families we all do there's nobody that is functioning the way god intended us to do you think a difference in the relationship with your dad would have helped you maybe two questions tied up in this if your dad and mom had been more open with you and had been in your relationship with your dad was more secure do you think you would have found yourself in the place of being pregnant would be the first question and the second that if you had had the support of your dad and your mom um, that you probably wouldn't have gone down the road of abortion mm-hmm. what do you think so I definitely think that a father and daughter's relationship is so vital it is extremely important um, I definitely think that because I had that lack of love, I would say, like he always loved us and yeah. I definitely felt like he loved us, but because there was that lack of connection or whatever is the reason why I felt like I had to resort to finding love outside, mm-hmm. which is through males and all that kind of stuff. But had things been different, I definitely think that I wouldn't probably wouldn't have found myself getting pregnant. Mm -hmm. Um, or if I did, I'd be able to be open enough to talk to him about it. I still Mm -hmm. haven't told my dad (laughs) that I had an abortion. I just told my mom this year, Mm -hmm. seven years later, um, that I had one and told my sister. So they're the first two and only two people Mm -hmm. in my family that I have Mm -hmm. told. Um, How did they respond to you? Uh, My mom was super sad. I told her one day it just kind of came out because the burden was so heavy on my heart. Mm -hmm. Um, I was taking an adoption course and everything just related like from adoption with abortion. And so it was like my motivating factor to just call her and tell her. And it was like a huge weight was lifted off my shoulder because it was kind of like you're holding the secret in for so long and like nobody knows about it. So like telling her brought me a lot of freedom in a sense. Um, but at the same time, like she was so devastated and she cried so much. Um, and so, yeah, it was, it was definitely tough for her and she almost in a sense felt like she blamed herself. But I said, mom, like I knew, no, I've known that you would have been so okay with like being a grandma. It was just, like I said, it was my personal fears and all this kind of stuff, which prevented Mm -hmm. me from telling you. So I felt like I had to apologize to my mom for that. Um, but yeah, (laughs) what, um, was the process after, like you went through the process of getting documents and all that and the ultrasound, Mm -hmm. um, did they, did you see an ultrasound during it and all that? And then you made it, at least it sounded to me like you had a, uh, it was a struggle to get the Mm -hmm. doc, like it. It wasn't like, hey, can I get these? And they sent them. It sounded like mm-hmm. it had been like a long time before anything happened. Yeah. So like I said, I was taking the adoption class and that kind of motivated me to do a lot of things that I didn't expect to do. Um, so going in, I did have the ultrasound. So I knew I had one and it must be somewhere in a file. But 
when I was taking the adoption course, I learned that medical records are kept for about maybe 10 years, and mm. then there's a possibility of them throwing it out. So I knew it already had been like six and a half, seven years that I had the abortion, and I was just like, I need to get a hold of these records. And so that's when I sought out to go and get them. And yeah, it was definitely not like just go and walk into an office and grab mm-hmm. them. It was a like an eight month process. It was a very long time. Mm-hmm. First, I had to figure out where the abortion clinic was because I completely had no idea. Um, did not keep that in my records at all. And so I had to try to contact the place that referred me, but then trying to contact them and then get information back. That took a very like six months. Mm-hmm. And then finally, when they did tell me, then I had to call the place that referred me and then apply for my medical records. I had to pay $70 to get them as well. And then I had to wait. I ended up going to Ecuador again in the summertime. And so I think about maybe five months later, I don't know, whatever equals like eight or nine months. Um, Eventually, I did get them. And that's when I was able to see how developed the baby actually was. And I think that just the whole process of abortion, like I never really understood anything about abortion. I didn't even understand the development of how mm-hmm. babies looked inside your stomach. So for me, it was just like, I knew there was a baby, but I didn't actually understand or comprehend what a baby actually looked like in the developing stage, like I said. And so mm-hmm. seeing this formed baby through the ultrasound, it just like, I was like, wow, Um, just made me realize this is a child, you Mm -hmm. know, and just like looking at the records, like I said, I just look like such a confused, lost child. And so to see where I am now, I feel like Mm -hmm. I feel sorry for this little girl, (laughs) like and who I was because I didn't have that guidance and stuff. But I yeah, I was definitely blessed to get a hold of the records now. Mm-hmm. And, and see it and I definitely think it helped um like with the whole healing process as well right. and yes did I answer your question <laughs> yeah um I mean the one question I just because I've heard something of, I think it was in the states that there was something going on where they are trying some groups are trying to make it so that they have to show you the ultrasound before oh, you can yes, get okay. an abortion and mm-hmm. Uh, other groups are saying no that's wrong that's you shouldn't have to look at it and i was curious if that was a thing here or not okay so when i went to go get the ultrasound done they ended up i pretty much said to them before they suggested anything i asked the nurse and i said will i be seeing the ultrasound and then she said no I guess unless I wanted to or something, but I told her no. Like, I do not want to see it. I don't want to hear it. I asked, will I hear a heartbeat? Mm -hmm. Um, Because I I think I believe that there was a heartbeat at that time. And she's like, no, you won't hear anything. And I knew if I had seen it or if I had heard it, 110% I would change my mind. But I knew that I had made up my mind that I was going to go through this abortion. And so I was like, do not let me see or hear anything because I knew if I did, I would completely change my mind. So um, had I done it, I definitely think I would. I know for a fact I would not have gone through it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, what about, have you spoken to other 
people who've gone through this or um especially like in the church because i my sort of thought is possibly that more a lot more christian women go through this than you then we tend to think mm-hmm. about because there's more shame in the christian community over unwed pregnancy than there is outside of it and the i, I understand the temptation if i had got a girl pregnant at some point um i could imagine being like if she had said like i'm gonna go get one done it's like i know it's wrong but it's making this problem that i really don't want you know i'm thinking of it as a problem like that back needs to what to ariel away. said about relief yeah there's even though you know mm-hmm. no one needs to know about it yeah. yeah and i can go i i would be able to like go back to like see i'm a good christian boy mm-hmm. i yeah. i never did anything that i wasn't supposed to do and no one knows about it um but yeah. so yeah sorry that just makes me as th- when i think of it like as if this was me mm-hmm. that maybe the numbers are higher and yeah i didn't i wondered if you would talk to anybody or i definitely know for a fact the numbers are a lot higher because the amount of people that i have talked to throughout the years hasn't been a lot but like the just to see how common it is from people i didn't even expect you know from family members and just some friends and i'm just like wow like this is actually it almost seemed like one in two people are having abortions you know so it is very common i was actually really blessed because um through my christian walk i was kind of doing it on my own and it wasn't until i think maybe the fourth year or fifth year of being a christian that i was really blessed to have gained like a mentor friend and he actually spoke to me of a lady that had an abortion and he connected us and she's mm-hmm. i think she's she's in her 50s um but it it was interesting talking to her because she had her abortion i think at 16 or maybe younger okay. um but how she's still carrying this i guess this burden mm-hmm. i i don't know like what you would call it because i feel like in a sense abortion is something that's a lifelong thing we definitely know for a fact like if you're to tell me like jesus like definitely what he did for you and everything like i know it in my heart 100 percent. but i still think that it's an ongoing thing in your life because it's something very different than other sins it's when you think about the worst sin it's obviously the first thing that comes to mind is always murder murder Mm -hmm. is always the first thing and it's almost like for someone like us that have gone through abortions, it's like we're getting away with murder in a sense. And it's how do we comprehend this, you know? Um, and it's like premeditated murder because you're literally, you know what you're going to do and then you go and do it, right? So it's, it's, I think that's the hardest thing to kind of accept, process or whatever. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so when I had met her, I talked to her, we shared her stories but with her case, she got pregnant and her parents were the ones that actually took her to get the abortion. She didn't want the abortion. Her parents mm-hmm. wanted her to have the abortion. Yeah. But it's just so interesting how she ended up carrying all the effects with yeah. the the guilt and the shame and all yeah. of that. She's she's carried it. And not mm-hmm. I don't know if her parents have or not, but it's just so interesting that like 
mm-hmm. how my choice was different than her choice, yeah. but we still went through the same thing and mm-hmm. how it still affected us that way. So I think yeah. it's very profound when you say that it's a lifelong, mm-hmm. uh, life-changing and lifelong in that process that you walk through. A, a lot of other people have the same kinds of thoughts. Sins of consumption that you can't take back are so hard to walk through. Like, how do you, how do you repent of it? You can't go back and say, I'm sorry. I mean, you could in your spirit, in your heart. You can't change it. You can't make it. You know, it's kind of like, like the guy, I mean, it's such a, a lame analogy. It's but like once you get the chocolate cake, what are you going to do? Throw it back up. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's gone. It's, it's consumed. And, and it's very hard to walk back in our minds, I think in those kinds of situations and yet God tells us that we can rest in him that we can have forgiveness Um, I think all forgiveness there are consequences that some are very minor some are major this this seems to me like a very major hard to walk back kind of thing so it just really resonated with me when you said that because I hear from all different you know a a guy that has a homosexual tryst how do you take that back like I did that again I went down that path and how I can say I'm sorry and I can feel bad and I can cry about it but it's very hard to I mean, I, st- I still carry sheep and I can give him the sheep back or another sheep back and in some sense of restoration, but very, uh, very hard in, in, in the case. So how emotionally in Ariel's life um, is this a daily conscious thing? Is it a only sometimes kind of thing or how... How 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 does Ariel connect with this? So, definitely, abortion changes you, like without a doubt. Uh, you kind of think that abortion is going to stop whatever problem you think you have, but mm-hmm. that's only the beginning point. And so, I realized that it has definitely affected my relationships. Um, the first relationship that I got in after the abortion, I found myself just having moments of like just sadness and it was like my ex-boyfriend always had to comfort me and it Mm -hmm. it almost felt like it wasn't fair for him to have to do that it it was a blessing he did but it almost felt like like I said it wasn't fair for him and it was an ongoing process and I think this is seven years in Mm -hmm. and this year I was able to gain a lot of healing but I was carrying guilt for seven years and so even though I knew God's truth, it was, it's, it was something hard to really fully accept. But then again, the power of the cross. So now I think I definitely accepted it. Mm-hmm. Um, I know I don't believe that I'm carrying that guilt because of this year, mm-hmm. everything that God has done for me. Um, but like I said, it, it was some days it's a life process. So some days there'll be triggers that mm-hmm. will get me. 
Mm-hmm. And I think every day, in a sense, it's almost a reminder. Like if I'm a, just seeing kids, seeing babies, like it always pops in my head. It's a daily thing, yeah. but it's something that I accept and have to go yeah. through and have to continue my walkout. Um, Do you ever find yourself musing what your daughter would look like today? And all the time. Yeah. And every single year, every year, I think my child would be this year older, you know. And so that's something that I think about all the time. Um, but I w- And just even dating, like I started prior I was dating like Christian guys and I realized in the Christian community like a lot of males are virgins like I said and so that was really hard for me because it's like here I am with this past here Mm -hmm. I am having been pregnant and yet like I never felt good enough and Mm -hmm. I was really blessed and encouraged for one of my exes that said Ariel you're not your past you're your potential and I see your desire to grow in God you know and so that really like was life-changing for me to hear that and yeah, I've just been really blessed in, in those aspects of how understanding and caring people have been with me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you're making process. me cry. You know that? <laughs> I, th- I think th- like one of the things that is a problem with our current uh, sex health talk, mm-hmm. uh, preventative measures in our society, because I've heard from people like Ariel before and there might be people who have a different experience where it was nothing to them maybe they're out there but Mm -hmm. I've heard enough I think stories like this uh, where it's like no matter what for Mm -hmm. women and we don't even talk about the effect on on a man of Mm -hmm. what I've had friends who have girlfriends have had them and they have experienced loss and all that too um and hurt but it's disingenuous to talk about abortion like a condom and be in that you you if you have sex when you're in a condom um the effect afterwards is not going to be at all the same as if you get pregnant and then have an abortion like the person who's had sex with a condom or whatever uh preventative uh birth control is not going to be wondering what their kid has will look like every year they're not they they are not scarred in the same way and it sounds like you can heal and you you talk about uh, your faith and healing through that, but the scar remains. It the scar is healed, but it's you can still see it, or you know if you dig under the surface. And I feel like the way abortions talked about in our society at large is that you know here's the ways that you can deal with uh, not to not get pregnant, but if you do, this is what you can do, and people might go into it expecting and i've mm-hmm. heard this too they go in thinking it's just gonna go in i'll get mm-hmm. you know it's like getting a tooth drilled you walk out and that was the end of it but mm-hmm. it's like no you you carry the weight and mm-hmm. we have not prepared people for mm-hmm. that 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 is something that will likely happen if you go through with this yeah. 
I think these it's it's symptomatic versus drilling at the root of of where this deep emotion comes from. So many times I see young women in our sometimes older women in our churches and they're you know, they come to my office and they're in tears. I have nobody in my life. I have nobody in my life. I just want to get married. I want to have children. I want to have... And, and, and then they compromise on... It's just kind of like anybody that can walk and breathe and move around. They'll enter a relationship with, get married, have a child or two, and seven years later, they're back in my office, and it's the worst thing I've ever done. It was better when I was single and lonely than in this situation right now, which is some ways like the one you're talking about where you can't really get out of... I mean, you get out of the marriage, but it's, 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 it's started a life of its own. It's moving forward on its own. Where God designs sexuality around this thing of total commitment to one another. Finding a man, finding a woman who's going to love you and makes these promises to love you until death do us part. And, you know, I'm on the far side of that. I'm, I'm 60, I'll be 62 this year. My wife and I have been together 45 years now. And... Um, and I love her more today than I've ever loved her. And that's been a growing relationship. And, I mean, we trust each other implicitly with our lives. And and that's the, that's the home that sexuality is designed to work within where I don't have to be afraid that she's going to hurt me. She doesn't have to be afraid that I'm going to hurt her. Um, we're imperfect in it, of course. But that is our heart's intent and and direction and and I can't help but think that um, that we do our young you know kind of bringing this back to the end of the cir- or the beginning of the circle that by not being honest about relational things, not being honest in our re- I mean relationship with our kids that we set almost set our sons and daughters up um, to to be in relationships in an unhealthy way right from the beginning and we've not we've done a one we've done a poor job of living it out in front of them we've done a poor job of of showing what true love is because we're afraid to be uncomfortable. We're afraid to not say what, you know, be in that in squeamy situation. And so we, we, we don't have the conversations and we don't talk. And, and we turn blind eyes when our sons and daughters are struggling at different points in their life. And, and it's just easy to, to live. Well, I'll pretend I'm okay if you pretend you're okay. And, and, uh, um, you know, I pray for you that you find the day when you can be honest with your dad and and where he can love you back. And maybe part of that will get put back together and, and find some healing. But um, 
don't know. It's been an amazing afternoon. Carrie, have you got any more questions or anything that you want to? One of the things I've been thinking about is, uh, I mean, controversial topic on a controversial topic is abortion, uh, anti-abortion activists and what you think of them. So I've driven past the hospital here and seen people out with picket signs and do you think that's the right way to go about this the wrong way uh i don't know are you like in the middle so when it comes to the abortion activists i would say you do more damage than good Mm -hmm. especially for women that have gone through abortion because now it's like we're seeing what we're already trying to heal from and you're like, oh, this is murder, this is murder. Like, there's some to the extreme case, and then there's others that aren't so extreme. But in the end, we know abortion is murder. Even when I was going to have an abortion, I knew it was murder. But that didn't change my situation and how I could get out of my situation. And so I definitely think that we need to find ways to even talk to non-Christians like what is their language how can we speak to them so they would understand and so I was really blessed to share my story with two well three girls two at an abortion clinic and another one riding the train for my school in which they were being sexually active and I literally just I think Satan's greatest lie um, for society is that babies would ruin your life. And I think that that belief is what makes us feel that we are incompetent or unable to have a child because it would ruin our life. And mm-hmm. and that's the reason why we want to avoid being mothers or fathers um, in this case. And so I definitely think if we could show society or if we can teach them that babies are a blessing you know, and babies are so cute and all this kind of stuff that they would actually like open their eyes and be like, yeah, you know. So it's kind of like I said, it's you have to find a a language that would speak to them Mm -hmm. so that they would change their way of thinking. And because of the conversation, just even saying, oh, babies are so cute and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Literally, I've changed three girls' minds of how they were all for like abortion is okay to wow, like Ariel, I definitely would reconsider if I ever found myself pregnant Mm -hmm. like I'll contact you and let's talk about it or whatever but that won't be my first option Mm -hmm. and I think that's definitely what we need to do is not say oh this is murder this is wrong because morally like yes we know it's wrong but at the same time it's not going to help their situation so it's how do we help them Mm -hmm. like preventatives before Mm -hmm. it happens because once someone's already pregnant you can't change you can change their mind, but it's a lot harder. Mm-hmm. So how do you go through the preventative measures first? So, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, so I just want to like say then that, you know, even though you've gone through this and you felt hurt and shame and whatever other ex- uh, negative feeling experience you've had, you've gotten the ability to save mm-hmm. lives mm-hmm. from this that you wouldn't have before and it's not and it not even saving just like unborn babies lives but like you're mm-hmm. saving people from going through the pain uh that you experienced and mm-hmm. um you know change 
changing uh mm-hmm. like the whole what mm-hmm. you've done what's been done for evil god's used for good type thing mm-hmm. um so what does god's grace look like in ariel's life <laughs> so grace was something i learned about this year because okay. i went through a year of singleness in which the lord just wanted me to really learn who he was and so mm-hmm. grace now i realize that um basically we are fallen humans and i will never be perfect but i have a perfect god that loves me and that because i have his love and because i know what his real love and true love looks like i have that desire to want to please him mm-hmm. and so that's the reason why i make the choices i do with my life but I definitely feel that with his grace, there's so much freedom. And that's why I feel like this year is where all the guilt that I was carrying for so long has has gone away. Yeah. Uh, and so that was really a blessing mm-hmm. for me. <laughs> is there anything that you want to say? Because I, I was thinking about how um, you've now got a recording of your story. And mm-hmm. it's like you can share this with other people. I mean... Uh, maybe biased but that is good for us too if you share it <laughs> but um but yeah. like you know something that if you, you're like here uh if you want to hear my story listen to this is there anything else that you know is a constant part of your story mm-hmm. that you find yourself telling let's, people? let's phrase it this way if you had a two-minute elevator speech and a girl in front of you or a father or a mother what what would you say in the two minutes that God would give you with a person? Oh, I feel like that's <laughs> a little harder to answer that way. But okay. just like if they were going through an abortion or like. You you pick the persons in front of you. If, 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 if you were to be able to just to share your heart right now, what's on your heart with somebody, what would you say? Well, I would say because we're talking about abortion is that it's not just a woman's issue and this is something i actually wanted to touch on is that this is definitely it it goes both ways it affects men and women and i didn't find that out until talking to my cousin um in which he also had an abortion well his girlfriend did and the guilt that he's carrying Mm -hmm. and so this is definitely something that god can heal you Mm -hmm. you know but at the same time, like, you need to, I don't know, I'm tr- now I'm trying to, like, how am I going to do this in two minutes? <laughs> okay. But pretty much what I, like I said, talking about guys and that issue is that they definitely are going through a lot of trauma, too. Speak to guys. Talk to them. Girls, you're not facing this issue on your own. Mm-hmm. There is someone there that's willing to help. Um, well, maybe some of them might not have that, but always try. And mm-hmm. and communication is key and so good and important. And so I was really blessed and honored that I was able to actually reach out to the guy that I had been with. Um, I talked to them, him for the first time in seven years. And he actually said to me, like, Ariel, I've been waiting for this message. Mm-hmm. And then, like seven years later, like, you've been waiting for this. And so I was... I was really shocked by that, but mm-hmm. I know it brought him a lot of healing that I reached out to him. And now I would say that we have a good friendship. 
Um, and so I definitely think it, w- it helped him in his healing process. There's definitely negative effects that are going on in his life where he did get married, but now he does not have the ability to have kids. Mm-hmm. So for him, not being a Christian, he might see it as like a karma kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But I definitely believe that like if it is the Lord's will, he opens wombs, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the same time, I think that it was beneficial that maybe that he didn't have a kid yet because... I still needed to heal. And the Lord knows all things. Yeah. You know, we don't understand why certain things happen, but mm-hmm. he does. And he ordains things and makes all things work for for the good. So, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I keep, there's so many questions because this is just new. Like, yeah. to be able to talk to well, someone about... Well, I think we this. need to probably ask Ariel to come back. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I would say that, you know, if we put together another, you know, here's some things that, that come out of this talk, because I think you have too much to say, Ariel, to mm-hmm. say it at one sitting. Yeah. Um, you are like a fire hydrant and, uh, we're only good at drinking out of garden hoses, <laughs> but, uh, because I think, you know, a lot of my, is a dad and as a guy who. I do a lot of premarital, and one of the things I'll say to guys is, if you love this girl, you are going to protect. You're not going to put her in vulnerable situations. You're not going to put her in a place of where you're going to have, she's going to have these choices in front of her to make, and how, and and you're, if you love her, you will protect her. You'll put her above you. And uh, you know, as I see so many relationships, it's a guy who's really initiates a lot more than the woman does and um, that may be changing but that has certainly uh, been the experience that I find in my office and uh, a guy learns self-control or doesn't learn self-control that usually is by 11 if a boy doesn't have self-control by 11 cannot see the future say by putting off this right now, there's something better down the road. Uh, I think a lot of young, I, mean, I would say there's probably more Christian guys who aren't that way than who are. Um, and, and that's something we're failing, I think, is in, in the church. Is Again, we're not talking about it. We're not talking to our young men. We kind of close our eyes to that. And um, and so there's there's never just... A girl involved. There's a girl, her family, the boy, his family, and a lot of ramifications that that pull out of it. But Ariel, you are a pleasure to talk to. You are probably the most uh, winsome and open young woman I've talked to in a long time. And it has been refreshing, and it is just a joy to hear your heart. And there's a lot of things I think I can learn from you. And thank you for sharing your heart with us. Thank you for this time and trusting us with your story. Um, it has moved me. And uh, and I go like, like, we need to love our daughters and not judge our daughters. And uh, I'd say that's in the church too. Um, so... Uh, we certainly hope that you'll come back and talk to us. And I want to um, remind you as listeners that don't end your day without a word with God.
Thank you. I am 